If you're enjoying Hatch, you can support the show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It can be a one-off thing. The money is going to be used to support the creation and the launch of season two. So if you're interested in seeing another season come to life, just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'd be so grateful. Welcome to Hatch, where society's creative and artistic souls share their stories about starting something new. From actors to artists, to dancers to founders, to designers to writers to musicians, we explore what triggers their compulsion to create, how they develop and share their art. And in a world that tells us everyone's too busy to listen, why they bother at all. Rich Stevens is a North London-born and bred creative director. Rich has been working in design for over 13 years and across a range of industries. He's worked alongside standout names and brands, including Arsenal and Chelsea Football Clubs, Wimbledon, and Paramount Pictures. Richard's energy and thirst for both design and life is evident from the moment that you meet him. I'm so pleased to have Rich on Hatch to shed light into the mind of a top-end creative director and designer. So Rich, you grew up here in the UK and in North London specifically. I'm wondering what is your first memory of creativity from your early years? So my mum's uh, my mum's German and not that that bears anything, but um, but my grandma, my, my mum's mum was, was still living in Germany when we were kids. Um, she lived on an island in the North Sea off the coast of Denmark, which was just this like picture postcard. We would just go out with her um, every day or every other day in the summer painting. You know, she kind of over the years guided us a little bit, um, but but was a massive champion in, in just make marks. It doesn't matter what it looks like because it, it just as an as an expressive artist, it, it matters what you believe that's, you know, behind, you know, the sort of the mess that you're creating on a canvas. So, but then I fell away from it and I was very close to taking a place as a sports physio at uni. A couple of weeks before I was going to take my place, I just had this sort of moment where I'm like, this is not what I want to do. So I went to art college instead and and never looked back really. Do you think your family always knew that you would end up in, in the design or sort of creative space or did they encourage that or were they kind of surprised when you took the jump rather than going down the physio route? What was it? No, like? I don't think they were because I'm really bad. I hated revising. So I think um, any kind of sort of academic career, um, I probably only would have ever got so far. My sister's a doctor so she like, and I'm a twin. So, wow. so, she, so she's the complete opposite to me. Um, so no, I don't think they were surprised that I decided that physiotherapy wasn't for me. I wouldn't necessarily say that my parents really understand what I do. I think there was an educational piece early on in my career where I had to remind her that I'm not an artist and that mm. I don't just play with colour. But, you know, <laughs> one of the many educations that I've had to kind of impart as I, as I go yeah. on in my career. Well, and that's, that's a perfect uh, segue because the title of designer can invoke a lot of different I guess representations depending on whose lens you're viewing it from so what type of work do design agencies do and I guess in parallel what does being a creative director actually involve yeah it's a good question because I think um the creative industry is is so broad and it's really broad and it's really deep the creative industry bring to market 
communicate messages, everything that's around us. But they, but they do that in very sort of tangible items. So you've got things from like brochures to magazines to websites to advertising campaigns that you see on tubes to events and promotion. So that's why you do get ad agencies. That's all they do is advertising. But for a, for a creative director, I think one side was, is about people and one side is about a creative output. We've been given a, a problem, a brief, and we now need to dissect that. We now need to figure out why we're being asked this question, who we're going to answer it to, and how the hell we're going to do it. And that, and there begins a creative process. So as a creative director, you lead that. And you sometimes you lead it on your own. Sometimes you lead it with other strategists or account um, directors. So you kind of become the sort of glue for the creative process. You obviously are given creative briefs all the time. I can only imagine how many you've received over the course of your career. So I'm curious, what does that creative process look like for you? Where do you begin? Well, it's moved on a little bit from my painting in the countryside days, I must say. But (laughs) um, for me personally, whatever brief sort of lands in my lap, there is an instant emotive connection that I that I feel, right? And that is a passion, an absolute burning passion that sits in the middle of my belly that gets me excited because I have no idea how it's going to finish. Yeah, it kind of makes me sit up and say, right, here's my energy, here's my rush, I'm going to get, I'm going to get started on that. You have to nail that brief. Everyone who's involved in the project has to believe in the brief, understand it. It has to be as, as watertight in terms of like background and content and fact as it can be. And there's always a kind of a bit of a, a, a research piece, you know, where you, where you have that lovely moment of like opening up and being like, right, well, so let's say that this project is a place, right? And what do places do? Well, places give us lifestyles. Okay, well, let's think about like what else gives us lifestyles. Well, fashion gives us lifestyles. Digital apps give us lifestyles. Membership clubs give us. So let's look at other brands and see how they exist and see what they do. You know, um, so it means that you can kind of cherry pick all the all the lovely nuggets that you that, mm-hmm. that you pick up along the way. It means that you look at Chanel's typography and you wish that you had created a timeless face like that. Great, we'll take that. You look at um, the activation from Shoreditch House and you think, oh my gosh, like I'm going to do events like that, right? And they're going to look like this, and it's all about contributors and it's all about uh, getting you know a great set of bright minds okay cool i'll take that i love the aesthetic of house of hackney so then you like you then have this like extensive mood board you know like at small back room we have this we have a decent sized bit of wall at the back of uh, upstairs studio and it just spends most of its time covered in rolls of runouts and that's where you put all of your stuff right? and then you get your lovely big old pen out and you're like right <laughs> let's start marking stuff and you then start building up this lovely like montage of reference points and cues and that's really easy to get to i think because it's there's no one pushing you back right the, the tricky thing is next is the next phase is playing back what you found to what the brief needs to answer the problem the brief needs to answer and that's where you need to be open to letting things go if it's not working or if it's not right and it kind of there's a there's a conversation that we have around sort of creative paralysis and how everyone goes through it and the quicker you understand 
when it's happening and do something about it, the, the, the sort of stronger it will, it will make you. But also, I think I've noticed a couple of times in my career where you've had that lovely moment where you've sold an idea in and the client's fallen in love with it and it, nothing's been challenged. And you crack on and you're like, wow, this is like amazing. Like, I love this. And then you get to a point where you're like, I've never questioned anything about this because it's always been yes. It's always been great. It's always been this. So throughout the creative process, even when things are going really smoothly, just check in and be like, oh, could I, should I be looking at something? And even if the answer is no, actually, it's cool as it is. Well, at least you've done that sort of due diligence, right? Because you never know. I mean, I was working on a logo type with a, with a designer recently and, and we did just that. You know, we had this lovely effortless process to get to a point and I kind of looked at it and thought, you know what, like what we've done is unique, absolutely, but I think we're missing a trick. There's something that we haven't done that would just tip it over the edge. And so we did. We ended up cutting back into the typeface and doing a little tweak and so subtle that it might be missed. But once it's in, you know it's there and you're like, oh, yeah, phew. I love that you that you touched on the um the creative blocks or, or mm. ruts. And mm. do you have like personal, I guess, tactics or like things that you do that enable you to even acknowledge that in the first instance? You're like, okay, no, I'm getting too attached to an idea now, and and I think that if this doesn't go ahead, I I might sort of face a barrier or a block. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 a five a.m. Yeah. <laughs> when you try and keep to a minimal. Um, <laughs> like how do you, yeah, how do you sort of go throughout through that process? Because I can also imagine as a creative director and as a designer, you've got these external time pressures on yeah. you, which, you know, aren't very supportive or don't really foster the ability to kind of just like take your time with, yeah. with your own personal creative process. So what do you find helpful? I think that, you know, that little piece that you just mentioned there about kind of time pressure, I think that's a really important thing to to kind of be mindful of throughout the process. But I think, first of all, we are never going to always nail it first off. Like we will get that, we need to get that into our heads. A little bit like when you go looking for love, you don't find it, right? But when you're kicking back and someone walks past and catches your eye, that's when you have that wonderful like connection, right? And that can happen creatively. Try and like I, I just take myself away from the environment that I'm working in. I walk around, I do a bit of exercise, you know, whatever it is to like take your mind off, read a magazine, like go and go to a different area and, and see where that sparks up. Because the panic stuff is is really crippling. And also then just take ownership of that, right? You you must respect honesty. And so therefore, if you get into a rut, talk, communicate, own it. And and actually someone might say, Yeah, okay, well, have you thought about this? I went through a period once where I would go to bed with a notepad next to me because oh I, I went on a run of like, oh my God, I'm getting some like, I think I was doing a naming project. And like, just as I'm like sleeping, just getting into that lovely, like, oh, this is good. I'm going to get my eight hours. I'm like, oh, what about if we call it this? And then you're up <laughs> for like another half an hour, like, so, you know, it's that classic. Your one, dreaming name. Oh, geez. Like, yeah. And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was I know that feeling. And you think you've got this incredible idea oh, as you're yeah, like in this lull, like you're dozing. And then you write something down. I do that on notes on my phone. And I wake up, I'm like, that is 
honestly ridiculous like no yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. terrible but i like that you were capturing them because yeah. perhaps you know combined they they could make something or they could spark other yeah. thoughts or other yeah, ideas yeah. and that's part of it right yeah totally i mean i think with you know again like on a sort of more serious note about creative block and the impact that has on on a commercial timeline is talk to your client phone them up and say guys i know we i know we've got a presentation tomorrow but i just want to run something past you can we have a quick call right and then you get on and be like guys we've got it to a place there's just something that we want your input in right and you can shape it up and you can introduce this rut in so many different in so many productive ways and say i need we need you to help us out here on something what do you think you know and so you use it as a bit of a test bed and i think this is you know certainly over the the power of discussion and communication and talking and zooming and doing all of that over the last few months i think has really helped that i love that and i feel like from a client's perspective they will feel so incentivized by the feeling that they are providing value to the project project as well and that their yeah, voice yeah. is needed mm-hmm. i love that you can use that block and that rut to turn it around and kind yeah. of or more of a collaboration and allow client relationships to kind of grow from there as well. Yeah, totally. If, if people feel that they've been listened to and, and they're involved and they're adding value and they're inputting, then like what, how is that ever going to be, you know, a, a sort of a bad thing? What have you found to be the most challenging parts of being a creative director? To become a creative director at an agency that I loved, respected and was really excited about. I think, that, you know, at the very beginning, like, We'd had these wonderful conversations that had, that had led to my appointment. And then I'm like, oh, I've arrived here. Now I need to do my thing. So the imposter syndrome on like your first Monday morning kind of sits in. You're like, oh, God, like go. <laughs> I need to deliver this one, <laughs> you know. And, and the it's swim time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, right. Um, I kind of found myself in a position of, of, of you know, of seniority and, and in you're sort of managing larger teams and and you're being listened to by your peers and 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 the things that you're saying they're actually sort of responding to and you're like oh right okay great um shit <laughs> um so so i think adjusting to that new that new environment and what that means was was my first challenge but then i think the the creative director is there to oversee uh, other creatives do their thing right the more senior you become the less hands-on day-to-day design you do right that's just the way it is do you enjoy that or do you often crave kind of that purity i still crave a, uh, i still crave a bit of it right but i also i love my current role like there is nothing about it that, that i miss or, or that is missing so so the challenge is, is that when a creative is having a, a bit of a block it'd be really easy for me to say oh well why don't you just do this you know you've got a lovely thing there but like why don't you just add that and that and that and it'll be done right but that I don't believe is the is the necessarily the right way to, to manage someone because then you're just telling them what to do and they're not discovering it yourself. So I think the challenge for creative director is is to have that balance of direction versus freedom versus okay, I now need to rein it in and and you need to listen because of my experience. A really good, well-rounded creative director is one that leaves his ego um, on the cutting mat and just harnesses the confidence and the passion and the excitement and giddiness of, of, of the team because they know that actually what they're doing is helping helping that idea to become a reality. So it's there was a there was a moment where, where I sort of was talking you know talking to someone about my role and, and kind of they're like, oh so do you do actually like do you do you design stuff? And I'm like, well absolutely. But like 
yes, I might not craft it, but like, you know, I, I, I work with a team and we help, we, we craft an idea into something, you know, it's a campaign or a brand or whatever. And, and absolutely a creative director, you know, doesn't necessarily do the creative director does the thinking or helps with the thinking behind it rather than the physical um, production. So, you know, you look at your portfolio and you're like, oh, what have I delivered? Well, actually, oh, I haven't delivered anything, but, well, you have. You just haven't physically produced it. Um, you, you know, your wonderful team has, has, has done that. So kind of... You've been at the wheel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Changing a mindset of someone who is just numbers driven can be challenging when you want to talk to them about the power of brand and how you should be more experiential. And, and it's okay if you don't get a sale from an event because you've done X, Y, and Z. But, but that's, where the, that's where education comes in. That's where you go back to like, well, involve them in the process. If it's tricky and it's, and it's not going as swimmingly as we want to, then let's try and make everyone feel the love um, and lose a bit of ego. Um, and hopefully they will. Or, or just back it up with some really solid fact you know so this won't work because of <laughs> that, that's also so true and yeah. speaks to the point about like depending on who your audience is you do need to tailor appropriately like you can speak to them back almost with numbers like oh. the evidence shows yeah, that yeah. this kind of design resonates with customers or consumers or whatever and you know x percentage more than the alternative yeah that's absolutely. speaking their language mm-hmm. so and I guess that's relevant in in every industry. It's about finding that common language and, yeah. and a communication style that fits all parties. Yeah. And yeah. that can be easier said than done. Totally. But I think that's I think that just nailed it when you, when you just said there, speak their language. You know. Yeah. Um I, I will remember going into a pitch for a new bit of business once and it was the most it was the worst most horrendous pitch i've ever been to in my life there was no chemistry we didn't get them they didn't get us um we didn't speak their language i'd love to hear what does phenomenal design mean or look like to you so i think um if i was to think about phenomenal design i would think about uh, effective design what piece of design has invoked or made change so that doesn't mean that you're looking at you know i'm looking at apple and being like oh my gosh like the new release is phenomenal it's like i'm looking at you know pay perhaps like a a a marketing message from a charity that has stands for a really strong cause that struggled but all of a sudden has just got this wonderful support you know because of its messaging etc so i think that for me it's it's effective design because it's that's designed for substance that means that like we can all make stuff look great, but like, what makes it really, really phenomenal is that lovely little nugget of, of an idea that started that whole process. Examples of effective designs are also examples that feel and look effortless. Like when you read a message in an ad, you say, "Oh my gosh, of course." That for me, making design look effortless is a really tricky thing to do. And when and people and businesses agencies do it, I think are onto a winner. And I think if you were to kind of say, well, actually, like, give me an example. Well, um, I'd probably go back to the Benetton ads. What they did to communicate the message behind race, equality and HIV at a time when no brands, no fashion brands were... Um, using their ad space to promote and support topical issues i think is amazing you know the shot of the of the two hands together the the shot of the the dying man in his bed 
I mean, it's just like beautifully directed, a real harrowing topic for the for the guy that was unfortunately passing away, um, but incredibly powerful and memorable and timeless. You know, if those ads were featured today, you would have the same response. And I think that's another thing is timeless design, something that, that is relevant now um, and that will be in, t- in 10 years' time. But then also you've got things like Hoover, it's phenomenal how who how you say oh I've I've bought a new Hoover when actually you've bought a new vacuum cleaner, so that's maybe a, an, a a phenomenal piece of brand placement. Phenomenal design is design also that influences its surroundings. It makes a statement culturally almost. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely, it's it's something that's got a bit of it's got a bit of a backbone behind it. I think that can that's more than just a stunning aesthetic. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. When, you know, a non-designer thinks about design, naturally the first thing that, that comes to mind is the aesthetics. Is it beautiful? Mm, mm. But you have to then just delve so much deeper. Yeah, yeah. And then you realize like everything that you've just touched on, of course, of course, they're key yeah. contributing factors. Yeah. What do you wish that you knew about the design industry before you started? I think it's, you know, there, there's some realities. So it's it's a lot more competitive than you think. And yes, it can be really fun to be part of, but it's insanely competitive and you cannot stop. Don't be fooled that just because you can produce um, an incredible layout like Neville Brody um, and magazines like The Face, etc. Don't, don't believe that that will be enough because actually it won't. Remember that when you go for an interview, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. They need you. That's why they've asked you. But you, they need to convince you that they're right for you too. And never lose sight of that. And that should give you some confidence when you go into an interview and say, all right, well, I'm here because I've obviously they've seen something that they like, but they need to impress me too. Um, and be prepared to take some knocks along the way. Be prepared for rejection. Be prepared for decisions to not go your way um, and, and learn to understand why that has happened and and why you don't need to necessarily in all instances be bothered by that decision because it it was for xyz reason that you have no control over so it's that um because it's so competitive you know and there is a lot of talent you need to just do your thing be you never stop and and i would say that certainly when i was kind of branching out as a junior that sort of message wasn't really driven home that much Mm. that's such great advice especially when you're in those early days or years because you can attach so much I guess personal value on whether you're chosen or yeah, not yeah that's true I mean I'm sure everyone's stepped out of a, a room before and been like mm, you know it's like it, it, it's My like bad. going on a date right it's like going on a date and, yeah. and you've done all the prep work on the app right and you're like oh good pitch looks great nice bit of chat right age range for only four miles away so that's all tick 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 and then you get there and you're like oh okay well that's not what i expected so then you have that no vibe. Like, oh no but you know the individual looks nice and and presents themselves nice so so isn't that enough and you're like well well, it'll only get you so far, right? Only so much you can tell digitally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know that to be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A few catfish out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say, yeah, go out and see it all, but also make sure that you find you work for agencies that are right for you. When you find someone that's that can potentially mentor you, or or you work closely with, who is who is more senior to you, or at your same level, you know. Finding that, finding that somewhere where you can just 
switched from being really professional to being really sort of vulnerable and saying this is on my mind because of a personal reason or because of a client or whatever is like priceless. Um, but I think one thing that's helping that is is the kind of the discussion in society around empathy mm. and about being a good listener because for me that's what makes the difference now. You know, the, the kind of the creative standards will always rise and people will always move with them. But it's the interpersonal skills, the human touch that makes or breaks, I think, a really special connction. I guess empathy and design can come in to so many different formats from God, like yeah. the, the, the products that you're designing. And you've kind of had the rise, I guess, of like human-centered design, which is obviously touches a lot on on empathy and um, designing for for the the very very end user and mm. really understanding the problem mm. and you know not just kind of throwing something aesthetically pleasing at a potential group of consumers in practice when it comes to designing with empathy what does that look like it's a topic that i um that i've got a real keen interest in if you were to look at uh, sort of empathy within design from a commercial uh, viewpoint certainly the last few months where sort of the world has seen um, things kind of shaken up a little bit and processes have been challenged and some have been thrown out. And like, how the hell do you navigate your brand through that? I think the way that perhaps you might want to start that is, is by kind of thinking, well, am I empathetic as a brand? It's interesting, you know, especially like on social channels, you see some brands do the um, response to, uh, covid really well in that they're not cliche and they're not a sheep but they stand for something um mm. so yes they're you know you might say well they're, they're just they're sending out a covid message but they might be doing it in a way that's more meaningful to the to their audience rather than just saying guys let's all stick together during this time you know we can all say that but it's like listen take a bit of ownership of your response and then and then answer a problem that your audience needs um I think that's such a good moment slash period of time that illustrates when brands do it well. Mm. I was listening to a podcast and the the person being interviewed was sharing how the most important things that brands could be doing at, you know, that time and I guess this time is not selling but actually just providing a way for people to meaningfully connect. Like I I received an email, this must have been in about April, you know, we're deep in the COVID times and it was from EasyJet and it said, Hannah, it's time to book your next holiday. And I was like, excuse me, this is the most tone deaf email yeah. I've ever received. This is insane. And then you've got these other brands that are kind of giving you what you need and want without you even realizing it. I don't know, maybe they're just giving you something to laugh at and that's all you need in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And it I think you're totally right because you need to kind of build up those brand experiences, which can kind of be more emotive right now around connection and communication and just knowing that like, you're not on your own, perhaps, with certain ways that you're feeling. And that gives you a bit more of a more meaningful, relevant position and less of kind of like for the now, because the trend stuff won't really last. We're up to the final word section, which every guest gets asked these quickfire questions to round up the conversation. Okay. So, so Rich, what profession would you like to have if you weren't a designer or creative director? This is the easiest question of the whole podcast. I'd like to be a chef, please. Um, really? I'm obsessed with making sandwiches. 
Yeah. yeah. What's your favourite sandwich in London? Uh, oh, London, uh, my own one, thanks. Um, so it'd be made on uh, either on Christmas evening or Boxing Day, and it just raids the whole fridge with stuffing, um, maybe a couple of bit of ham, bit of turkey in there. We've got pickles, we've got spring onions, we've got it, and it normally takes up quite a sort of a layered design. Right. So like there's a bit of lock jaw afterwards, but it's just like every condiment's thrown in there. And yeah, I love it. I'd love to open up like a sam a sandwich store. <laughs> just yeah. just sell like a range of sambos. I can see that for you later on in life. Yeah. Have Rich's deli. Oh. Could you describe the design industry in three words? Uh I would say it's very insightful, insanely addictive. You know, I can't get enough of it. Um, even when it's challenging. And and it's entertaining along the way. What are you not very good at? Waiting. Very impatient. Yeah. What's a song you'll never get sick of? <laughs> it's the only song that I know all the words to, and that's Adele's Someone Like You. <laughs> it's a heartbreaker. What a belter, yeah. Glass of wine and a few tears. Woo. Yeah, don't listen to that when you're feeling vulnerable, speaking <laughs> yeah. from experience. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What is your greatest fear? Um, it'd probably be like making sure that I achieve the long list of goals that I've set out for myself, you know. Um, I think there's like the stuff that gets added to that all the time and I think I put a load of pressure to do it all like at a million miles an hour. <laughs> um, for someone who, who doesn't like to wait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so therefore I'm like, oh gosh, what happens if I don't do them all? And this is like, it's all right. I've probably got enough time. Um, so yeah, it's it's making sure that I kind of tick that bucket list of stuff. Just because I like the stories. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to get to the point where you're like, oh, do you remember that time when, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people that will walk past something and be like, I want to experience it, even if I have no interest in it. But just so that yeah. I can say that I have, yeah. like there was a craze yeah. of like KFC drive throughs are reopening. I haven't ever been to a KFC drive through I want to go to one just so that I can experience sitting in a traffic jam for an hour for a bit of chicken. And it makes oh, no sense. Maybe. But I'm like, yeah, but then I could, you know, when I'm old and wrinkly, I can talk about it. You may not even like KFC, but it's yeah, still the experience. I had one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What quality do you like most in another person? Um, I think it's um, thoughtfulness. So, you know, a, a, con a consideration for, for others. And um, people who, who are kind of openly inclusive kind of really jump out to me um, mm. because I guess I, I, I kind of do that myself. Um looking to kind of connect and interact with people. So I think that kind of, yeah, that that caring thoughtfulness and consideration is, is a quality that I, I probably look for. You're speaking to 16-year-old Rich. <laughs> what would you say to him? Um, put more in your sandwich. Uh, no, <laughs> I would probably say keep on running. Like if you have a talent that you're good at, then push it as far as you can until you fall out of love with it. Because you might, you know, you, it might turn into something really, really special. Rich, thank you so much for coming on, Hitch. I have loved our conversation. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been a dream. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hatch. 
If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to Hatch wherever it is that you listen. It makes every difference. See you again next week for another episode. Bye.